You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze the various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, distributed ledger technologies and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we have a very special guest with us to discuss and explore the growing world of decentralized finance, also popularly known as DeFi. We have with us Anton Moskovoy, who is best known for his work as the ex-CTO of the Humanique project, which is a project focusing primarily on financial inclusion and empowering the unbanked. Working with Humanique, Anton and his team launched the first hybrid blockchain in production. Prior to the Humanique project, Anton worked with the BMO Financial Group. And in 2015, he founded Finlight, which is a company working on algorithmic installments and revolving credits. Anton is currently working as head of product for Jethereum, which is a company that provides blockchain enterprise solutions. So Nikhil recently had a chance to meet him in London and discuss the growing space of decentralized finance or DeFi. Let's have a listen to their conversation. So hello everyone. Uh, today I'm very excited to actually uh, uh, introduce Anton Moskovoy. He's uh, one of the uh, big uh, people in the blockchain space, and I, I met him uh, recently, and I've been very excited to uh, interact with him. And I wanted to have an interview, and uh, we are very honored to have uh, him on our show. Uh, so without further ado. Uh, Anton, uh, would you like to introduce yourself and uh, you know give us a little bit of your background, how you got into blockchains and uh, cryptocurrencies, and what you're doing now? Um, absolutely. So uh, first of all, it's uh, it's my pleasure to be here today, and uh, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Um, so a little bit about myself. Um, so. At that time, when Ethereum uh, was sort of uh, building up, um, so back in 2014 and 2015, um, at that time I lived in um, Toronto, Canada, um, and obviously that's that's just where uh, Vitalik was, uh, you know, in, in Waterloo. So um, it's it's sort of like that our paths didn't really interconnect, um, but we came from completely different sides. So I was working at the Bank of Montreal at the time, and um, there was a pilot project uh, to do with uh, the National Bank of Canada, and obviously it was a pilot project on investigating the cryptocurrency world, so nothing really big, but that's how I got dragged into this thing, um, crypto. Um, and and to me, it's it's already like a what four for something year path that I'm really really enjoying. Um, so I've I've launched three companies. Uh, one of the recent company that uh, where I'm a founding member of and um, where I served as a CTO is called uh, Humanique. Um, and what Humanique is, uh, it's it's pretty much it's a it's a disruptor in the space which is now called for social good. Um, and specifically blockchain for social goods. So we created the financial marketplace for emerging markets um, and uh, it grew pretty fast. So we've got uh, 500,000 users in, uh, you know, in less than a year. Uh, we were selected as a top pick in blockchain by TechCrunch. It was back in 2018. Um, we were, were also the first ones to release the hybrid blockchain in production. Um, so right now I'm, um, I'm a part of, uh, the company called Jetherium, um, as a head of product there. 
And uh, Jetherium is actually focusing on a bit different thing, but it's magically somehow still interconnected in this, uh, you know, like global unified term DeFi. Um, so Jetherium is uh, utilizing uh, and providing um, tools for an easier access uh, to Ethereum blockchain. Um, and how? Well, um, we created a product that allows you to interact with um, smart contracts on Ethereum, not on Solidity, but uh, in Java. Uh, which provides us a far easier uh, access to uh, basically the code. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, I mean, it seems that you have a wide variety of experience from being a startup founder and uh, getting entrepreneurship and uh, the deep technical expertise into, uh, you know, uh, modifying Ethereum and uh, bringing it into the uh, enterprise uh, space, so to speak, with uh, by the use of Java and things like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, today I actually wanted to kind of tap into your expertise in the decentralized finance space. This has been uh, one of the things that have been uh, big buzzwords nowadays. Uh, you know, we want to know. Uh, so today in this episode, we'd like to, you know, explore with you what is DeFi uh, and why is everybody talking about it and what is the type of problem that it is trying to solve. So, uh, Anton, could you just... Uh, uh, give us, uh, you know, your uh, uh, understanding of what is DeFi, what is the problem, and what is the solution that DeFi uh, provides. Right, right. Uh, which is which is quite interesting because the term DeFi itself, uh, it wasn't really there uh, like four or five years ago. Um, it wasn't that scaled. And, you know, we have to say uh, thank you to the guy named Brendan uh, Forster. So he's a co-founder and CEO of Dharma Labs. And he was actually the one that started this entire, I would say, uh, you know, trend of, you know, the DeFi hashtag. Um, and it sort of grew from just a Twitter thing to obviously uh, a, a global term that we all, um, you know, utilize now. Um Right. And it's quite fascinating how, again, um, like all of these little things, they come into like one big blob. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so DeFi, well, um, very easily DeFi is essentially just conventional financial tools built on a blockchain. And most in most of the cases, I will say nine out of 10 cases, it's Ethereum. Uh, why? Because Ethereum is the biggest uh, programmable blockchain out there. Um, so you know, now that we understand that it's just conventional financial tools built on blockchain, um, the reason why it's called DeFi or De uh, decentralized finance is because, you know, those applications, they're basically tacking uh, tackling two main things. One is uh, censorship resistance. Um, which is which is getting a big thing, especially you know as as we progress and as we see lots of things happening out in the industry. But the second thing is is more interesting um, to me is it's basically an improved access to financial services. And uh, once we remove this centralized sort of operational model, uh, that's that's where um, you know DeFi really really shines is the improved access to uh, financial services. Great. Actually, that, that brings up a very uh, good point. So like you said, you know, the decentralized version of it could potentially solve the problem of the unbanked. But uh, just to play a little bit of a devil's advocate, what is it about the current, you know, banking system? You know, why can't the Ma Visa and the MasterCards of today solve this problem of banking for the unbanked? And uh, why can't they just simply outcompete or, uh, you know, disrupt the cryptocurrency space. What is it about legacy finance that 
that makes it so difficult for them to solve this last 1 billion uh, 1.7 billion uh, adults uh, problem that's that's a great question and um would that be in a very easy question it's also very complicated um so you i'm glad you referred to this uh world bank statistics so uh back in um, november 2018 world bank issued a huge report where they stated that um it's it's estimated obviously um because the figures are extrapolated but around 1.7 billion adults in the world today don't have um, access to the banking system, so they don't have bank accounts. And to give you the scale of the problem, um, you know, now that we have around what 7.7 billion people on Earth, that's that, that means it's almost like 24 something percent. So one out of four people, um, adults, you know, we're we're being even more specific, adults on Earth doesn't have access to the banking system. But it, it's 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 even more fascinating that there was a little blob there, um, you know, in that report that actually said that it's around um, one billion. So out of those 1.7 billion, one billion of those people, they actually have mobile phones, and that's you know that's how you get connected to this idea of all right. So the problem is actually you know, I mean. Maybe, you know, maybe all of these existing companies, they have technical um, and political capabilities of eliminating this issue, but maybe that's something that they don't want to do. Maybe that's something that they can't do or are not allowed to do. I mean, then you start getting into all of these conspiracy theories, but ultimately the fact is, is that the issue does exist. And then if, if the existing methods, um, they don't help us solving this issue, then we have to try new methods. And DeFi is ultimately a new method, and um, that's that's how you know the technology naturally uh, progresses. We started with Ethereum, which now serves as a medium for all of these decentralized applications on top of it, right? And um, you know, as they say, so Ethereum leverages the same principles, right, that create digital trust within Bitcoin, and now it applies them to smart contracts. Um, which are which are you know very simply again just self-executing pieces of code. So you know it's the code that a human being wrote down, which now is being executed on the chain, um, and it's and it executes business logics. And you know whenever it's a very simple if-then condition. So if something if some condition is met, then some other logic. Is, is being executed. So that's, you know, that's very easy, but smart contracts look a lot like financial contracts in, you know, in that, that they escrow funds and transfer them around in response to certain events. Um, so that's, that created, you know, a very, very interesting um, use case that now um, this system is potentially superior because the encoded business logic well, first of all, it can be checked and verified by everyone because it's open to public, but it's also that it can really be manipulated by one central party. Right. I think one of the things about this uh, is the is that the fact that you have uh, the trust uh, in an algorithm or trust in the data. And uh, so, so one of the big things I, I mean, I, I often ask, uh, when I hear about, you know, even today that there are international transactions that take several days uh, to happen. Uh, and, and the reason for that essentially is that, you know, there is uh, the financial service industries, uh, they do not trust uh, their counterparties. So they are constantly checking and rechecking and reconciling and making sure that, you know, uh, payments are being uh, actually being uh, 
moved the 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 money is actually being moved and uh, the now with with uh, with the models that bitcoin and ethereum bring that that's kind of completely gone away you have this this almost uh, uh, transaction like you know seamless one one move of of money and uh, and and i think uh, that's one of the major reasons why uh, this defi ecosystem and the defi this thing can actually make it compelling for the unbanked because one of the statistics like you very correctly pointed out about the world bank when they actually look deeper into the 1.7 billion adults uh, and they looked into the reasons why uh, these uh, 1 billion adults are not actually having accounts a lot of the reasons were because they felt that they simply the charges were too high right the bank was yep. taking too much of the money so uh, the reasons why the bank does that is because of all this friction in their in their systems and uh, uh, ethereum and bitcoin are simply much much more uh, smooth absolutely um this there's a you know and one of the great examples probably so back in september this year so a couple of months ago those uh some guy or company or group of people so we don't know but they they made a transaction which was worth at the time of um a bit more than 1 billion us dollars in bitcoins um so that was the equivalent price and you know how much it cost them to actually make that transaction well it was around 5 or 600 us dollars can really um you know remember exactly now but uh, what's what's fascinating that's just like a rounding error right it's <laughs> less than 0.01% exactly so and it could be and it could be even cheaper it just seemed that they wanted to make sure that the transaction would make it to you know the nearest block so it was just right. a, a matter of precaution it, it could be even much you know even cheaper than that absolutely right right and then and then you go go to um just exactly what you said about the banks um you know in order to move um, i made some you know calculations there in order to um transfer that like that much money uh from one bank account so from one bank to another bank or you know like from us to europe across you know across the ocean um it would cost you roughly 24 million dollars just to make that transaction so that would be your fee on like you know on the settlement wow So, you know, $500 or 24 million, well, um yeah, it's pretty much a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. So, uh so let's now since we've established, you know, why DeFi makes sense and what is the type type of problem it is make uh solving. Let's go a little bit into, you know, the uh, in in a little bit more depth and look at some of the categories that uh, you know, DeFi dApps have come up with. you know so a, a few of them that uh, i know is one obviously payments so you have defi apps for protocols and solutions like omisego the lightning network uh, that that basically caters to payments uh, uh, micro payments as well as macro payments like we talked about just now then uh, we have uh, decentralized exchanges uh, which is essentially Uh, a cryptocurrency exchange that operates in a decentralized way without a central authority uh, some of these examples would be airswap bank or uniswap um, and uh, uh, others and then uh, you also uh, have uh, stable coins which is essentially coins uh, tokens in the in the uh, uh, in the cryptocurrency space that uh, either track a central uh external uh, fiat currency like uh, a reserve currency like usd or track a basket of currencies and kind of make sure that 
they keep within a certain percentage of the value of that currency so that you know it can be used as a medium of exchange uh, maker dao and uh, dharma some of the answer, uh, options here uh, there's also now slowly as a second uh, you know uh, almost as a uh, uh, additional thing now people are looking into derivatives which is essentially a contract that derives the value from the performance of an underlying entity so we have token set and synthetics basically creating contract uh, der derivative contracts on top of uh, cryptocurrency sets um, we have uh, lending platforms uh, like compound fulcrum salt which provide loans uh, without any intermediaries uh, and uh, need for collateral other than the actual uh, cryptocurrency collateral so there is a uh, there's a lot of things that are happening it's almost like you're building kind of like a parallel banking ecosystem absolutely so, uh, yeah absolutely right so uh, perhaps you know anton let's could you just pick a few or maybe we can discuss a couple of these in greater detail um sure i think um the very first thing that comes to your mind about uh you know the scale of things is ultimately stable coins um, and stable coins is as a sphere in its own um, probably you know the majority of people associate a stable coin with tether um, so tether is uh, is the most um, common and the biggest uh, stable coin out there um, which completely dominates the market so this uh, you know for, for everyone to understand so tether is a stable coin which pegs to the us dollar and the ratios should be one to one um, so tether was created back in uh, you know 2014 but up until 2017 there wasn't much traction going on um, however in 2017 um, so 2017 um, tether had 98.1 percent of the stablecoin market you know dominance so basically it was v1 um, token that you would think of because it had the most liquidity um, and you know two years later now that we are at the end of uh you know like the year um tether is still dominating the market so there's you know it's still a, a somewhat around 70 percent of uh, stablecoin market dominance um, and even though there's been a lot of attempts, um, right now, I think there's only 27 stable coins that have some liquidity, so that are actually, you know, tra uh, you know uh, tradable. Mm, and, uh, you know, those 27 projects, so behind those uh, tokens, um, they can easily be, um, you know, call it, categorized in, in two things. So they can be split by either binding objects, so, you know, the one that you explained, or cuddle type. Um, so, you know, like obviously going into the binding object, well, it's, it's very easy. So traditional assets, crypto assets, um, and unsecured, um, that's a very interesting topic, but, uh, traditional assets, it means something like Tether. So one us dollar to one, um, stable cryptocurrency, um, crypto assets. It's when you try to peg, um, some crypto, uh, so other crypto token to this, um, stable coin. Um, and unsecured are um, algorithmic stable coins that try to use uh, different mathematical, um, you know, operations just to try to stabilize uh, basically supply demand out there. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, a little spoiler, it, it, it's not working great just yet, um, but obviously I'm pretty sure that we just need to experiment a lot of it. Um, in a sense of the most common um, um, traditional assets or traditional fiat currencies that are being used to PAG, um, the crypto, well, it's, you know, no-brainer. Um, so the US dollar, 
the euro and gold. Um, so Japanese yen is, is in the fourth place there. If you ask me what's the most common um, usage or use case for um, stable coins, uh, the truth is is that obviously many people like you know like you uh, like me uh, we dream of you know helping the people of uh, you know basically the world so this unified access the point is is that trading remains the most uh, common use case right now for stable coins um, and you know <laughs> that's uh, that's the the truth is uh, probably just to wrap about you know the stable coins uh, the most interesting concept about uh, the stable coins is the so-called smart smart banknotes. Um, the reason why they're called banknotes is because they are being issued um, for specific um, call it you know. I'll simplify it for a specific reason. We'll go into details. And the only successful smart uh, smart banknote so far is DAI. Um, so DAI is a stable coin, and we're gonna touch it just you know just in a second, um, which which actually brings us to um, the second probably very very interesting um, thing about uh, DeFi space, and specifically when it's not to deal with payments is lending. Um, which you know the biggest um, DeFi app right now is MakerDAO. Um, and if you actually ask me about, well, we've, we've just talked about DAI, is it, is it something related to MakerDAO? It, it actually is, because MakerDAO is a protocol behind the stablecoin DAI. Um, and uh, the one thing unique about uh, MakerDAO is, well, because it's so far the most successful project uh, built on Ethereum at this time, which allows you to use your crypto, just, just like you explained, which allows you to use your Ether, um, to basically, um, well, take the collateralized debt on it. And what it means is that uh, you deposit or send Ether to make your smart contract. So remember, right, everything happens on chain. There's no centralized party. There's no office or back office or some agent that does this action for you. It's just a pure smart contract on the Ethereum uh, Yeah, it's an chain. algorithm that is doing everything. Absolutely. So what happens is if you deposit Ether to make your smart contract, um, well, you, what happens is that you create a collateralized debt position, so CDP. So remember that. So to say you deposit one um, ETH, like, well, ETH, which is worth, uh, you know, say $200, $200. I think right now it's worth around 180 something. Um, well, what it means is that this will allow you to take up to 80 DAI. So assuming there's a, well, there's a 150% collateralization rate. So, you know, $200 um, to like, uh, well, three. So against your, you know, $200 worth of ETH. So if the price of ETH drops below the, the $200 mark, your CDP, right? So your law there, well, it will be forcefully closed. So this stops, um, so to stop this from happening, you need to put either more ETH or take less DAI in the first place. But that's that's another interesting concept about the decentralized finance. We haven't really figured out about those things yet, so that's why things are working out or not, and you know people are thinking about it. But anyways, so what happens is that now um, you you know you have this ETH, which is now not simply sitting and idling in your wallet, right? But it's actually being used, uh, and you know you can you can can operate with DAI that you just issued, so a smart banknote. What an interesting thing about it is, is that if you need, if you want your ETH back, um, you simply need to pay back the amount you took, 
right? So the DAI coins um, with some really minor fee, which is paid in this uh, native uh, maker coin. Uh, right. But but you know, even though it can be a little bit of like overwhelming, um, I'll try to clearly explain the benefits of it. So um, ETH. Um, it fluctuates in price, so it can go up, it can go down. So we've seen that it would almost reach two thousand U.S. dollars, right, um, in, in price, and then it would drop to like hundred dollars. So say you have fixed amount of ETH, and you know where you want, where you expect, or you believe that it's going to go up in price. So you don't really want to sell it now because you can lose potential gain later on. But all of that money now is again sitting and idling, as I just explained in your wallet. So the projects like MakerDAO, um, they can help you, uh, ultimately they can help you put that money in work. And that's, that's exactly what's happening. Um, and that's, you know, that's where we are really um, you know, shining in providing the access. Because remember at the very beginning we, we said that DeFi, well, it um, allows you for two things. So one is uh, censorship resistance and the second thing is uh, more access. And, and that's, that's the beauty of, uh, you know, projects like MakerDAO or Dharma, which is very similar in, in the concept. It has different features. Um, what these projects allow you, they allow you to access lending um, and basically borrowing um, and, you know, m earning interest on your money anywhere in the world. And, you know, with no regards to your gender, race, nationality, you don't even have to have a bank account. The only thing that you have, you have to have access to internet and you know you have to have some crypto. That's it. So you know the, the beauty of it is that these projects they leverage a system of smart contracts on Ethereum blockchain to secure loans. And neither the project itself nor the people behind the project nor somebody else can ever touch your crypto or have the ability to misappropriate or steal your crypto. Right. So as you've mentioned at the very beginning, you don't have to trust anyone. You, you know, you just if you don't trust, you can validate the math. You can validate the cryptography behind it. You can validate the code because it's all on chain. Everything is transparent there. Right. And so so uh, one uh, question I have always had me, uh, I just wanted to ask was that, OK, so we've created this die, right? So I put one a uh, one ETH and I get 80, 80 die or 70 die. I take out a, a few die. Uh, what uh, so what do I do with it? Can I actually then give it to somebody or lend it? Uh, is that the expectation or can I use it for uh, 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 in a, in a in, in Dharma, for example, or can I use it to uh, do some uh, derivatives trading or can I do it, use it in humanique or something? Uh, how, how do I actually, so how does the uh, uh, interest get earned? Mm -hmm. So uh, you're absolutely right. Basically, you've named a few use cases and there are many more um, that exist and many more are still to appear. Um, just as, you know, since you own this cryptocurrency, you can basically do whatever you want to do with it. You can spend it to buy some products, right? And then as you earn the money back, you can simply convert it back to DAI and then repay your um, CDP, right? Uh, or you can use it to, uh, in, the, in the services like Dharma, which allows you to use that, um, you know, your DAI to earn interest. So once again, you know, you converted ETH to DAI and now DAI works for you. 
Um, and you know, there's there's many other things you can use it in many other projects, and more projects starting to accept Dai because it's a stable currency, or, or at least it's less volatile than ETH, um, and that allows you to again pay for you know services, pay for products. It allows you to uh, you know convert it to fiat and you know use fiat where the cryptocurrency is still not accepted. Um, it ultimately it's you know it's an alternative to cash. Um, it's, it's very, you know, it's a very odd thing to say. Obviously, there's, you know, um, far less use cases. So if you ask me, well, can I buy this specific ice cream with my dye? Well, most likely no, because the merchant would not accept it. But as the ecosystem grows, um, there's, their high, there's a higher chance that the merchant will accept dye because, yeah. well, they can then use dye to repay their, uh, you know, uh, subcontractors, contractors, and then the entire supply chain can be on dye. Um, and that's, you know, and MakerDAO is just one of the examples there. Right. You bring up, that's a very good point. So that's the whole function of a stable coin is that that idea that, okay, it is stable so you can use it like cash and you don't have to worry about, you know, the price going up or the price uh, losing out on, you know, the or, uh, the whole story about, you know, the guy who paid 10,000, uh, how many thousand uh, Bitcoin for a pizza and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and uh, you know, and, and having uh, regrets about that. So, so once you have this base of stable coins, based on the stable coins, I think now there are some other uh, dApps that are getting, uh, coming up, right? And you mentioned Dharma as one. So could you maybe talk a little bit more about how dharma works and uh, what is the difference between dharma and uh, you know the regular stable coin right um, so the, the the bigger the biggest difference uh, you know right now um, well between dharma and other projects is that uh, dharma is not using uh, the native coin itself so they didn't issue a token they didn't do an ico basically it's a protocol and right now, Dharma accepts, um, well, three things. So they accept the BTC, they accept ETH, and they accept DAI. So if you have any of those three currencies, um, you can use that um, to, well, allow other people to borrow it. So think about it as a, as a decentralized lending marketplace. Um, so the, the biggest great um, um, example in a fi you know, conventional uh, financial world would, would it be lended. So it's a platform where one person can, uh, you know, borrow money and another person can lend it. Um, but in here, the point is, is that there's no central authority um, and everything is more transparent. So, um, you know, one of, one of the good things is that uh, Dharma, um, well, it does not require any, you know, specialized wallets or, you know, Chrome extensions. Um, you can use that by having any, you know, access to any wallet, even Coinbase. And, you know, Coinbase, for those of you guys that understand, even though it's the, the biggest company in, in crypto, is the most centralized ones. Um, so the point is, is that it's extremely easy to use. Um, so again, no fancy buzzwords and, you know, no worrying about the underlying tech. Everything is, you know, transparent, easy there. So think about it as a blockchain, you know, adopt, uh, adoption, like blockchain adoption. Like what's the problem? Why is it stuck? Why, no, uh, you know, not so many new people come in the space. And Dharma, it's exactly about that. It's um, the concepts that you understand about lending and how it should work or what should happen. What's the expected return? Uh, what's the default rate? Like I'm actually getting my money back. How much can I make? But they put it on, you know, the decentralized platform out there. So, um, you know, 
you know that the mathematics is in charge of the money. So, you know, don't trust it, just verify it. Right, right. So since this is like a P2P uh, platform, I, I guess uh, there needs to be on on the one side lenders and then there needs to be on the other side borrowers. And then, you know, uh, so is it automatically finding the appropriate lending price or is that kind of some kind of auction? Uh, yep. So, no, it's it's very simple. Um, it's it's still relatively uh, a new project. Uh, but yes, uh, in a sense, it's it's just connecting the two sides there. Um, no advanced features, so no uh, multi-collateral uh, depth. So you cannot mix, you know, two currencies. So let's say I have some uh, Bitcoins, I have some ETH, and I want to, you know, I want to use all of them at once. So you can, you know, you can use um, either one at a time. Uh, Right. So because the person on the other side, they will receive um, again, like, well, they, they'll receive that. Um, it, so, you know, in, in order to answer your thing here as well is um, probably like one of the things just to prop up the, the thing about Dharma is um, the possibilities, how much they could extend it to um, is, is almost infinite. So, you know, from very simply on expanding on the list of the currencies that I, you know, that they um, sort of like support mm -hmm. uh, to the features, because the more liquidity uh, there is on the platform, you know, the, the smaller the loans could be, the terms now could, uh, it, just, it doesn't have to be fixed, right? It could be a variable term so that, you know, I just need a short term um, like loan or I need a long term loan. Um, and, you know, the basically the terms then could greatly vary and just that you know just just getting more adoption and more traction there um, will allow more people to get involved and you know the more people are getting involved you know the higher um you know the higher the better it is for everyone so here, here's here's the thing about the metcloth's law is um there's a funny derivative of it um you know the um the global value of the gtpr is quadratically correlated to the number of economically active people on the network um, you know, on the global scale. So in other words, the more people join in and are economically active and are trading and inter interacting with each other on the global scale, you know, the richer... The higher the GDP. Yeah, exactly. You know, in other terms, the richer everybody is. Um, yeah. So not, not equally, but now imagine what would happen if, you know, we keep on creating these great projects and we somehow will be able to incorporate those like almost 2 billion people that are currently excluded from the global system. Now, what would happen if those people are, will now be included? I think it's, it's just, a, you know, tremendous, tremendous um, change that is coming. Right, and 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 I get that. I I think uh, that's uh, that's that's generally one of the big promises of DeFi, and uh, one of the things I think a lot of the uh, you know big proponents of DeFi is, uh, are are uh, you know genuinely trying to bring about is this uh, idea that you know it's banking for the people, it's not banking for the banks. Right. And and uh, so that actually brings us to another uh, area, which I, I think we should uh, explore a little bit, which is essentially uh, what is the path forward? Right. So well, uh, obviously, uh, this is still in the nascent stage. There is still a lot of uh, experimentation. There is a lot of trials and errors. And there are also a lot of, uh, you know, 
obstacles that need to need to be overcome before we actually uh, achieve that vision of uh, uh, providing sophisticated financial services like this to the unbanked uh, and uh, so so maybe we could have a discussion on what what do you think uh, are the next challenges uh, and the next opportunities for defi and defi applications um that's a great looking forward question and i think um the immediate answer is um it's regulation um regulation and governance um in order for us to drive the adoption further and to for all of this hap- well for all of this um changes to happen the industry has to mature and that involves um and in that involves the actions from both sides which is the industry players and enthusiasts and basically crypto users and you know the government um we'll we'll obviously see way more um taxation uh, regulatory frameworks we'll see um countries are issuing the sandboxes that allow um innovative companies to perform in it uh, i think regulation is definitely um the number one question of you know 2020 um and probably even further because we're not lacking uh you know the creativity we've seen you know super funny um super creative and actually super helpful projects we've seen super stupid projects as well um it's not a lack of technology uh that everybody's you know expecting say um you know ethereum 2.0 to you know come up and save the world it's not really that it's regulation yeah i think uh, that's a, that's a very good point because uh, at the end of the day you know for all the enthusiasm and optimism uh, there definitely needs to be some thought put into governance and how how do you actually deal with uh, situations where uh, bad actors and uh, malicious use uh, of the of the protocols and of the technologies come in another area i think uh, we should look at and and i think you brought it up uh, very nicely when you talked about coinbase is the fact that you know as of now at least in my mind the user experience of getting into defi and participating in the defi ecosystem is still you know not there yet in the sense oh, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 need to be uh, you know technical geek uh, guys like us uh who have the patience and the uh, you know uh, understanding to kind of spend the time and uh, read everything install everything try out the different uh, combinations and finally you know just get in and uh, so i think uh, that's another area and i see there is some progress happening over there i like you pointed out i think coinbase is a is a great example of what can happen if you spend time thinking about how uh, how the average user would uh, would consume such things yep uh, but uh, you know uh, especially one of the main areas i think is in the area of wallets because uh, this uh, defi one of the challenges uh, around it is that now suddenly you're responsible for 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 your own fortune literally right it's 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 a double edged sword it's a, it it gives you the power but it also gives you the responsibility so you know do you have any thoughts about you know how the industry is thinking about or simplifying it or making it easier for people to manage their crypto um 
it's it's a great point and i think we are on the way somewhere um it's still far but as you mentioned yes uh, i mean for an average person and i would see like you know um a great product is, is a product that is so seamless that you don't even realize that you're already using it um, it was a huge revolution when iPhones came in and then, you know, the idea of like how simple the phone, like smartphone could be instead of like, you know, those like button incorporated with touch screens out there, um, you know, dramatically changed the scene. The same thing um, to do with wallets, you know, slowly bit by bit, they're coming more accessible. I think it's just a matter of the number of iterations that we have. Um, it's definitely becoming more accessible, you know, from things that we saw like back in 2015 to now, there's, it's, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge gap. And I think we're a leap, uh, you know, like um, frogging to, you know, like that better future. If you ask me like, well, what's the perfect, you know, UI UX for people to um, adopt the changes there? Well, I think it's the one that would allow people not even to think about blockchain or like what it really is, because an average user doesn't need to know how it works or it, it doesn't even need to understand what's the you know what's the technology of uh, you know distributed ledgers out there um, the only thing that i know is that you know your money is safe um, nobody can access it nobody can steal it um, and, and you know like it works as expected um, so i think delivering that would indicate that all right so you know we are on the path um, but with with all of that said I think we're still making a great progress because uh, you know the project that we talked a lot today about uh, MakerDAO. Um, so if you if you check the stats right now, um, they have uh, they've catalyzed more than 1.9 uh, million ETH, um, and with the current price, that's like um, 330 million plus uh, US dollars. So if you think just that amount is you know it can be considered huge if comparing to like how you look at it, or it can be uh, you know considered as a tiny, tiny uh, amount, but it's it's a progress. And I think that's the only thing that we need to understand that we are progressing. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things is, again, uh, just a small little digression. Have you tried out the hardware wallets, like uh, the ones which, which you can just plug in into the computer and they, uh, they take care of uh, managing the keys and all that? Do you think that's a, because one of the things I liked about it is that, you know, if it is a hardware wallet, it kind of uh, looks or feels like a, an a analogy or a metaphor for a, you know, a real wallet and mm -hmm. you can carry it around. And then when you, whenever you need it, you just plug it into the computer and, and uh, magically you get your, uh, your money. And uh, so, so what, what do you think, have you tried it out? Do you feel, do you feel it's a, it's a smooth experience? Um, yeah, so I, I had uh, Ledger Nano, um, Ledger Nano S, uh, so a couple of those. Um, I've also used paper wallets, so that's, you know, think about like a scratch card that, uh, you know, has all the information there. Um, I, I used, uh, well, I, I used again, like um, I used, you know, many other services. I used uh, Coinbase, I used, um, there's a, even an uh, Ethereum wallet called uh, Rainbow. So there's tons of those that I used. Um, well. You know, the question that you've asked, it, it kind of, um, you know, tells me mm, I'm looking into it more from a perspective, not uh, not like user experience, because, uh, you know, that feeling of um, you know, it being secured, right? Because if you hold up that, you know, call it a USB stick, um, so if you hold it, you know, the, the hard wallet, like you own it. So you know that nobody really can, you know, can take it from you unless you're being robbed or mugged, right? But, you know, not considering that it's all yours. When it's digital, 
especially with uh, the number of uh, you know like news out there about oh well this um, you know crypto exchange is hacked that exchange is hacked there's a virus that locks down your uh, you know files in your computer etc etc um, you obviously getting asked well kind of question yourself well is it is it that secure um, so I don't think there's a right answer um, in terms of you know like whether it's right or wrong I'm looking into it more from the adoption perspective so getting back to that figure of like well the world is definitely you know mobile ready and it's uh, now probably more mobile users than um, you know desktop users out there in the world so uh, I think that the solution that we um, that has to be or will dominate um, probably better to say will definitely be mobile uh, phone oriented. So whether it is, you know, a, a mobile wallet, a decentralized mobile wallet, a centralized one, whether that's just, uh, because it technically could be just a note in like, you know, in your notepad on like iPhone or, um, you know, like or whatever with, you know, like the private key written out there because you don't really need anything else to access, um, you know, like your, your wallet there. So it, it's, you know, the solution, it has to be easy, seamless as we just talked, and it has to be mobile oriented. So if hard wallets could adapt to uh, mobile users, well, it could be the dominating um, option. Right, and 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 I, uh, that's a very good point. And, and I think, I, think I, I seem to remember seeing recently, uh, Samsung has come out with some kind of key store solution uh, on yeah. their mobile phones. Yeah, uh, so... Um, Samsung um, Galaxy S10, uh, the, the recent one. Um, well, it's it, it's a great thing. I mean, um, obviously that's one of the biggest uh, non-Apple, um, you know, phone producer right. um, company. So if they are um, giving you that option, well, that's a great start. I mean, you yeah. don't have to use it, but the entire uh, thought of you having an option, I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think that's that uh, that's amazing too, and hopefully they'll uh, they'll tr finally push it uh, into phones that are not that expensive as a Galaxy Ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, that's another thing, right? So when we talk about global adoption, you obviously would never think about you know like a hundred thousand plus worth uh, you know mobile phone but right. uh, well hey once again it's uh, you know it's just a starting point because the technology um, you know that allows you to implement that it's actually not that you know difficult it's, yeah. yeah it's not that difficult so um, you know once again we just you know we just have to find a way to do it efficiently out there and you know once again like mobile phones they're getting cheaper every year and it's like moore's law and you know in a weird way but it, it somehow works and you know something that was only like uh, accessible to richer people and then medium class you can buy very very decent phones now that would be worth like you know 50 us dollars and it would have all the tools you need it would have a front camera the back camera access to you know internet it would be a smartphone on android so it's it's worth only like 50 dollars so yeah um you know we're getting there yeah and and and, and that actually i think brings us back to our our original goal for DeFi, which was providing these tools, providing a, a bank in your pocket, essentially for for those who are unbanked and who who don't who are, who are not able to get access to the financial institutions of Absolutely. today. Absolutely, Absolutely, but I think we also don't have to forget about the risks, right? Because um, well, there's there's a lot of risk associated um, with any new emerging technology. 
uh-huh absolutely and uh, yeah and it's like you very correctly point out it's a risky road it's a long road uh but i think we are moving uh, forward quite well i uh, every day i see new and exciting uh, announcements around the defi space and uh, and and so and uh, quite a few of them you can genuinely see they they're putting a lot of thought into it and uh, they're also considering you know uh, how how things work in uh, the so quote unquote uh, legacy financial mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. and and trying to see you know how they can replicate uh, and and learn from the um, lessons given uh, learned over there so uh, i think uh, 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 i've taken up enough of your time anton it was a great conversation and uh, and uh, i think uh, we've uh, done uh, we've done a great job covering uh, decentralized finance both from the pros and the cons and uh, yeah uh, it was great talking to you man uh, any any calls to action uh, how how can people actually uh, reach out to you or follow you if they want to do so um, so well, thanks a lot for we. Uh, well, it was it was lovely to chat uh, to both of you guys, and uh, I think we we need to talk more about. I I know you know our world is surrounded with noise, uh, but conversations like this hopefully they help drive adoption. And uh, just you know, if 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 that would be the one call to action is just use crypto, try it out you know, make mistakes. Um, it's not about earning money. It's not about investing only. There's, there's, it's a whole new world and, and it feels like a whole new world. Um, so if you want to reach out, um, there's, uh, you can just simply, you know, find more information or contact me uh, through my website. So that's uh, mosgovoy.me. Um, just, you know, Google it up uh, or appear in the search and uh, there we go. Right, there you go, folks. Uh, Anton uh, Moskovoy, M-O-Z-G-O-V-O-Y dot me. And yep. uh, you can get on his calendar. Uh, I, that's how we actually reached out to him. So, <laughs> yeah, he's a very accommodating guy. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot again, Anton. Yep, thank you, guys. All right, folks, that concludes our podcast. We hope that you found this episode on DeFi useful can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.